welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Saturday the 25th of February 2017, entitled Becoming a Change Agent. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. Well, amen. That's one of my favorite songs, Big Enough, and it comes at a great time after the guys talked about Bible college. God's big enough to get you through Bible college, amen? God's big enough to meet every need you have. Now, let me ask you a question. Any of you in here familiar with MMA fighting, mixed martial arts? Have you know what I'm talking about? Any of you participate in that? Anybody done that? All right. Have you, Brother Rob? Okay. Okay. You're just joking. Well, let me tell you a little story, and there's a method of my madness here. A couple years ago, I was on my way to Tom's River, New Jersey, and one of my friends that's in the church there is a young man. He's a professional MMA fighter, and he called me and said this. He said, Dave, if you can stay over a couple of extra days, he said, one extra day, I'll take you over to where I fight in Brick, New Jersey. And he actually fights at a Nick Catone's gym. I don't know if you know Nick, but Nick was, a, I think, heavyweight or middleweight, and he was a uh, U.S. champion, and he's since retired. But anyway, he said, I fight out of that gym. Take over and introduce you to Nick, put you through an MMA workout. And I said, well, man, that's on my bucket list. That's one of the things I've always wanted to do. It's not the last thing in life I want to do, but anyway, it is one of the things that I've wanted to do in life. So I planned to stay over an extra day, and that happened to be on a Thursday. And uh, our time in the gym was at 2.30. And I remember getting in my car, driving about 20 minutes from Tom's River over to Brick Township, New Jersey, pulled into the parking lot of the gym. And uh, my dear bride over here called me about 2.25, 2.26. And she said, uh, are you in at the workout yet? I said, no, waiting in the car getting ready to go in. She said, I just want to mention something to you for your consideration. And that is this, please remember you're not 20 years old any longer. That's what she told me. And I was a little offended by that. And I said, well, honey, I want you to know uh, there's nothing that a 20 year old can do that I as 55, which is what I was then, uh, cannot also do. And I heard her say this. I heard that distinctive, Brian, you've heard this. I know every husband's heard this. I heard that very distinctive. Okay. Okay, which means, okay, I've warned you, you're on your own after this. And uh, she said, no, seriously, uh, I have a good time praying for you. Don't do anything foolish. Well, I got out of the car and went in, and uh, they, they put you through all of these exercises, push-ups, sit-ups, jump rope. Uh, I've done all of that. That was really no problem. But then they tape your hands up, and they put the MMA gloves on your hands. And I thought this guy was my friend, but what he did was he paired me up to do some sparring with a guy who is a professional MMA fighter and outweighed me by 80 pounds, all right? And that guy was supposed to teach me how to throw punches, you know, with real power and how to throw kicks, you know, with power, how to block punches and kicks and all that kind of thing. And uh, I am not kidding. After doing that, when I got up the next morning, no joke, I mean, not even 24 hours later, from my wrist to my elbow, this arm was not blue. It was black from blocking kicks and punches from a guy who outweighed me by 80 pounds. And the next seven days, Brian, every time I put my feet on the ground in the morning, I hurt in places I didn't know I even had the night before. I mean, it was unbelievable. You say, Dave, would you do that again? No, one time's enough. Okay, I got that out of my system. But Anyway, it was interesting. My wife's response, though, is what I want to capitalize on. I was talking to Antonio this afternoon, and he made a statement. He said, you know, Brother Kistler, he said, I have learned not to waste my time with people that aren't interested. He said, if they want to go to hell, they can just go to hell. And that's why he said it. Now, he didn't mean it the way it sounds, all right? But what he was saying is this, and it's good, good advice. He's saying, I want to find people that are interested in the gospel, and I want to share the gospel with them. Are you hearing me? Doesn't mean we don't share it with everybody, but what he meant is there are times that you can pick up. Someone's really not interested. They're not connecting with the message you're sharing. They're not hearing what you're saying. 
Don't waste your time there and move on. Doesn't mean you don't share with them, but don't try to talk them into something they're not ready to do. And I appreciate Brother Antonio's passion. I really, really do. And thank God so much for him and for what God has done and is doing in his life and what God has done and is doing in the lives of all the other young people. I ought to hear an amen right there. God has blessed these young people and I am just stirred. By the way, I made my way over to the Bible College two years ago when I was here and it was just a couple hours that was an enrichment of my life to be able to be there, spend time and see what God is doing there. And I praise the Lord for all of that. Matthew chapter number three, if you would, please. Matthew chapter number three. Let me ask a question. Anybody in here an English teacher or former English teacher? English teacher, former English teacher? Any, are you former English? Are you really? Bless your heart. My mom taught English all of her adult life. And uh, anybody else in here? Uh, anybody read English? Okay, okay anyway. Uh, we don't read it well. We don't speak it well in the United States. But anyway, my mom was an English teacher all of her adult life. And you will know this probably, brother. There's things she taught us in high school. It's a word. It's a word. It's a concept in the English language called metonymy. Metonymy. You know what it is. You're nodding your head. Your wife's nodding her head. Right? Don't, don't tell. Don't, don't let this out, right? But I will say this. Metonymy is the practice in the English language whereby part of something is selected and used to represent the entirety of that same thing. You say, Preacher, that doesn't make sense. Let me restate that. Metonymy is the practice in the English language whereby part of something is singled out, chosen, and used to represent the entirety of that same thing. You say, Preacher, help me understand it. Right? Let me give you an illustration from my country. If you watch the news in, uh, in the United States, you will hear this phrase all the time on the 6 o'clock news, 11 o'clock news. They'll say this, the White House said today. Have you ever heard that White House said today? That's the phrase that you... Can I be honest? The White House didn't utter a single word today. The building has never spoken. <laughs> oh, I had a friend who worked there 38 years in the Secret Service. And I asked him, I said, what about this president? What about this president? I mentioned one president. He said, man, if the walls of the White House could talk during those days, they would have some stories to tell of plates being thrown by the first lady of the president. He just, yes, that might be. But anyway, the walls don't talk. The building doesn't talk. So what are they doing when they say the White House said today? They're using this thing called metonymy. They're singling the White House out, the building, to represent the entirety of the current administration. What they mean by the phrase the White House said today is this. The administration said something today that's a very vitally important. Let me give you a more simple illustration. Uh, my son, Nathan, he's here, and uh, when he was a little boy... He would sit right behind me in our Ford F-350 Crew Cab Dually 7.3 liter turbocharged diesel engine pickup truck. Any of you guys truck owners in here and that sends a chill up your spine just to listen to those specs as I give them out? But uh, we'd be driving down the road pulling our 40-foot fifth wheel. And Nathan kept right behind me. He would do this right. I mean, it would unnerve me because I was in the zone. Yeah. Everybody know what the zone is? You're driving on a straight highway. You're not asleep. But you're not awake either. <laughs> I drive to a switch and you got your mitts wrapped around the steering wheel and you don't want anybody talking to you. You just want to drive because you're in the zone. And Nathan behind me would all of a sudden go, Dad! It's a dad who put on the side road. There goes a neat set of wheels. And brother, I looked over there. I didn't see four tires and wheels just independently kind of rolling down the side road. No, I'm looking at an entire automobile. But Nathan described it as a neat set of wheels. Now that's metonymy. That's where you single out a part of the vehicle, the wheels. You use them to represent the entirety of the automobile. What he's trying to say is, there, there's an awesome vehicle. Look at that. Everybody with me? 
That's my tongue. Next preacher, why the English lesson? Because I want you to look in the Bible tonight. Boy, that's something. That's arrogant. You're trying to teach the English about English. All right, forgive me. All right, but I want you to see something. The Holy Spirit uses metonymy in the Word of God. You say, Brother Dave, what are you talking about? Look at Matthew 3 and verse number 1, if you would, please. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, the phrase at hand means it's now present. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. By the way, it arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now present. Look at verse 3. For this is he, talking about John the Baptist, who was declaring this message of repentance. This is he, referring to John the Baptist, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Your King James Bible says Isaiah. It literally means the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, listen to how Isaiah described John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, folks, look up at me. There was more to John than his voice. But there's an autonomy being used here. His voice represents the entirety of his person. In other words, this guy John was a life given to a simple message, and the message was this. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Wow. By the way, that ought to be what our life's about. Can I hear an amen? By the way, John was given life. He was given bread. He was on the earth for one reason and one reason only, and that was to get his generation ready for the first coming of Jesus Christ when he was born as a baby in a manger. I believe I'm on this earth right now, not by accident, not by coincidence. I am here strategically in God's divine plan, and I'm here to get my generation ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, I believe soon. Don't you, Brother Jay? I'm that much of prosper still here. I never dreamed I'd get out of high school in 1977. I thought Jesus was coming back. And boy, taking math and taking German, I was afraid he would come back for a graduation. I believe that I still. But I'm surprised, you know, we're still here, but we are. But we've got a message to deliver, and we've got a life to live for our Savior. Amen? Amen. Now I want you to watch verse 4 of Matthew 3. Stay with me. This guy described as the voice is more thoroughly described in verse 4. Now, don't you watch. This is kind of strange, but look at verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle. By the way, that doesn't mean like a, a forgive me, a woman's girdle. Everybody know what I'm talking about? My dad used to say a woman's girdle. I said, Dad, what's that? He said... That's a device to keep an unpleasant situation from spreading. That's what he said. Okay. That's not the kind of girdle we're talking about here, okay? The word girdle means a belt or a sash. Look again at verse 4. And the same John had his raiment, his clothing, of camel's hair, and a leather strap, a leather girdle, a leather sash, a leather belt around his loins, literally around his waist, and his meat, his food, was locusts and wild honey. Now, folks, think about that. What if tonight into Birmingham, England, walked a guy dressed the way John was dressed? He had on camel hair. And I used to think, you know, Brian Little had some old ignorance. I'd read this as a teenager. And I think, man, he had one of those finely tailored camel hair sport coats, you know, that you buy in America at Dillard's or someplace like that. And you have to take a second mortgage out on your house to buy it. You know? yeah. I thought, that's, what he, that's not what he's wearing. He's wearing crude camel hat, stripped off the camel's body, tanned on the backside. He's thrown it around his shoulders. He's wrapped a leather strap. He's tied that around his waist to keep the camel hair together. And he comes into town dressed that way. In one hand, he's got a container that has bugs in it. In his other hand, he's got a container that has bees honey in it. He's popping bugs like popcorn into his mouth, brushing it down with bees honey. 
And that's the way this guy is dressed in the diet that he's eating. Would you say that's a little weird? Yes. If he showed up in Birmingham doing that, we'd be calling him in a little white jacket. We got an escape me from the reward. Yes. We'd stay away from him. I want you to watch. The response to John is totally different. They don't stay away from him. They go to him. Now, don't you look at verse number 5. Then went out to him. Bible college students, I want to give you a little homework assignment. If I'm wrong, tell me. I'll apologize, but I've looked all through the Scripture. I have never found any place in the Bible that says that John, other than at his death, other than at his death when he was incarcerated, and by the way, when we were in Israel, we saw the place, Brother Brian, that it is believed to be the very spot where John was in prison before he was beheaded. Other than at his death, John never went to town. He didn't have to. Town went to him. Look again at verse 5. Then went out to him. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Now let me ask you a question. I want you to look up at me for just a minute. What was so appealing? What was so attractive? What was so magnetic about John that he didn't have to go looking for a crowd? Crowd went looking for him. Can I tell you what it was? It was the fact that he was different. Totally different than the people of his day. Do you know difference always attracts? Difference always attracts. There's a car made in the United States of America. I don't know if they made them here in England or not. It's called the Dodge K car. Remember the old Dodge K car? By the way, do they, they have Fords in England, don't they? They have Chevrolets in England. It's called Vauxhall, I think. Is that right? No, it's called Chevrolet. Yeah, Vauxhall's, but they have Chevrolet? Okay, Chevrolet. Do they have Dodge? Dodge? Okay, all right. Well, I, 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 I'm a Ford person, all right? My brother's a Chevy person. And uh, I used to purchase pickup trucks. And my brother told me one day, he said, Dave, do you know the new 2017 Ford pickups are coming out with heaters on the tailgate? I said, why in the world they put a heater on the tailgate? He said, to keep your hands warm while you're pushing that belly down the highway. <laughs> Dodge made a car one time called the K car. It looked like a box. I mean, there was nothing that got your blood pumping when you saw it. I mean, it was just plain Jane. In fact, I'll be honest, it was ugly. He didn't get your attention, but Dodge did make a car. In fact, I think they quit making it now. They make one to get your blood pumping quick. It's called a Viper. Yeah. Remember the Dodge Viper? Woo! Talk about a sports car, two-seater, about as impractical as it could possibly be. But when you buy a sports car, you're not trying to be practical, right? You're trying to have the thrill of the speed and the power of that sports car. Man, that car beats your blood pumping. It's different. It's not the norm. People are attracted to different. I want you to notice something about John the Baptist. By the way, he is one of just a couple of people in the Bible that Jesus ever paid a compliment to like this. Jesus said of John the Baptist, when you went out to see him, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken in the winds? In other words, did you go out to see somebody who had no backbone, just kind of blown about by everything that came down the road? No. Did you go out to see a guy dressed in fine raiment? No. What did you go out to see when you went out to see John? You went out to see a prophet. And I say unto you, more than a prophet. And then listen to this compliment. Jesus said, of those born of women, there hath not arisen a greater.
and John the Baptist. In other words, with the exception of Jesus himself, the greatest human being ever born was John the Baptist. Sit down, please. What a compliment. Why did Jesus compliment John that way? Why was Jesus impressed with John the Baptist? I want to submit to you four reasons. We're going to mention those. We're going to read them, all right? Number one, I hope you write this down. Difference attracts. So John was praised by Jesus because he chose to live a different life. Why did Jesus compliment John? Because he chose to live a different life. You say, Dave, what do you mean by that? Now, again, I want you to look at Matthew 3, verse 4. John lives a different life in three areas. Now, I'm just going to mention them and move on, all right? I'm not trying necessarily to make a point here except at the very end, but I want you to watch Matthew 3, verse 4. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle or sash or belt strap around his loins. Do you know John's dress was different than the norm of the day? You know, in those days, they wore long flowing robes. There was a man's version of the robe, there was a woman's version of the robe. John is not wearing a robe. And by the way, the accoutrements, the additions they would add onto the robe, where the sash was back, and other things would distinguish a man's robe from a woman's robe. But John's not wearing a robe. He's wearing camel hair. Crude camel hair. His dress is different. By the way, I just want to say this. And by the way, you guys are awesome. And wow, I've believe Christians ought to dress different than the world. Would you agree with me? The world dresses immodestly and lewdly and all kinds of things. Christians ought to dress different than the world. Amen? I could say more. I'll not. John's dress is different. Number two, John's diet is different. Locusts and wild honey. We have two doctors, Jay, on our ministry board, and I asked one of them, I said, Doc, let me, let me ask you a question. How healthy would a diet of locusts and wild honey be? And he looked at me and said, well, the wild honey is very good for you. He said, the locusts, I'm not so sure. He said, they would provide a lot of fiber to your diet. But would you agree that's a different kind of diet? While his dress was different and his diet was different, I want you to notice the big difference was not in either one of those areas. The big difference was in his demeanor. His demeanor was different. I want you to look at Matthew 3 and verse 3 again. I want you to see something. This is very important. Difference attracts. Look at Matthew 3 verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, The voice of one... Would you say the next word out loud? The voice of one doing what? Crying. Now you may want to cover your ears because I'm going to illustrate this, all right? What kind of crying was John doing? By the way, you guys are in Bible class. The Greek word is boapo. Boapo. The voice of one, bo-apo in the wilderness, bo-apo crying is this kind of crying. Shouting! Tumultuous man! In other words, John came on the scene, he's not speaking in a monotone voice. He's shouting! Tumultuous man! Get ready! King Jesus is about to show up! He's right behind me! Are you ready for his arrival? <laughs> you say, Dave, how's that different? Stay with me. Do you know when John the Baptist day, they didn't have pulpits in their churches? In fact, they didn't have churches. They had synagogues. They did not have a podium or a pulpit in the synagogue. They had a chair or most likely really a stool. And the teacher would not stand. He would sit. They did not have book forms of the Scriptures like you have tonight. It didn't open up in a book form. It was a scroll. And the scroll would unroll this way or unroll this way. And the teacher would unroll his copy of the scroll. And he would basically read the Scriptures, make very little comment. And he would do it all in basically a very <laughs> Al Gore-like monotone voice. 
and more people to tears. John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's got his message memorized. Very easy. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Jesus is about to come. Are you ready? And he's not talking in a monotone voice. He's shouting tumultuously. It's like this guy, John, actually believes what he's saying. And he does. By the way, guys, I want to commend you about something that was absolutely awesome to watch. As the young people sang today down at the city center, it was amazing to watch, wasn't it, guys? We commented. It was amazing to watch. The more joyful the song was and the more people smiled, and there was a lot of smiling going on as we were just singing impromptu. And this young lady over here was just grinning from ear to I mean, everybody was just having the time of their life singing as that was taking place. And that joyful demeanor was illustrated. People stopped, and they actually picked up the tracks and started conversations. And there were people talking to people that didn't know the Lord everywhere while we were singing. Can I say this? It's not just the witnesser that going to get a reward in heaven. The singers are going to get one too. Because that's what drew them in. Amen? It was awesome. Your demeanor said something to me. And I'm not trying to be unkind. But diagonally across from us was the tent where our Muslim friends had their material. And they had their mezzanine sound, you know, the crier they call it. And he's going, oh, oh, oh. Papa used to say this. <laughs> John. Why? Because he's chosen to live a different life. Number two. He's not only living a different life, he's living, number two, a dedicated life. Now I want you to watch Matthew 3, verse 3. Please stay with me. I'm moving very, very quickly. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here's the message again. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Plain English, get ready. The king, King Jesus, is about to show up. What does it mean, make his paths straight? Again, if you'll watch, let me illustrate something. Do you know in Bible times, kings, monarchs... And by the way, I do a lot of work in Washington, D.C. Brian, I have been as close as from where I'm standing right now to you, to the automobile our president rides in. You know what they call that thing? They call it the beast. The beast. It is basically a rolling tank that looks like a Cadillac. It has tires that are bulletproof. They do not have air in them. They're made out of a substance that if you shoot a bullet, they will not deflate. And they roll. The car is so heavy. You can look into it, Brian, and a person on the other side. And I've looked through and seen presidents sitting there. Their face is not disfigured, but the glass is about that thick. It is, it is basically a bomb-proof vehicle. It is so heavy. 
You have to have special training to drive it. It looks like it drives like a regular car. It does not. It is incredibly heavy. Do you know why our president rides in that? Because he never goes anywhere. He doesn't go out. You know, he doesn't do what some of us do. You know, about 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to go down to McDonald's and get me a hamburger. So he hops in the vehicle, pulls down to the local. We don't know. No, they plan everything months ahead. You know why? Because his life is constantly in jeopardy. Do you know when John the Baptist day, whenever a king in those days got up from his throne and went to visit any of the cities in his empire, do you know he didn't just get up and do that? Three to six months ahead of any king's visit to any city in his empire, three to six months ahead, the king would send an advanced team. Construction workers, engineers, they would literally walk the entire path that three to six months later, their king was going to walk down. Why would they do that? They're going to walk down the path, and if there's any dips in the road, what we call potholes in America, they fill those in. If there's any unnecessarily raised places, they would smooth those down and make the road as smooth as possible. If there's any twists and turns in the road, they didn't need to be there. They'd take those out to make the roadway. Their king's going to come down as straight and smooth as possible. Why are they doing that? They're trying to make the path worthy of their king. So when John says, Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. He's saying this. It's time for you to get the low places of sin out of your life. It's time for you to get the high places of idolatry out of your life. It's time for you to straighten up and start walking right. Why? Because the King is about to show up. And by the way, friends, I think He's about to show up the second time. I'm surprised, Jay, He hadn't come yet. But he hasn't. You know why? According to the book of Peter, we're here, still on this earth, because we have a mission to fulfill. And the Lord is not slow concerning His promises. Some men count slowness. But He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to earth. And you know why Jesus hadn't come back? People still need to get saved. Can you hear amen? <laughs> Prepare you the way the Lord make His path straight. In other words... John is living a life that is extremely dedicated. He understands I'm here for one reason. Get ready for the King. Not just myself, get everybody else ready for the coming of the King. That's a dedicated way to live. By the way, he's not just living a different life and a dedicated life. Look at Matthew 3. He's living a direct life. Now, I want you to watch something. This is an amazing statement. Look at verse number 5 of Matthew 3. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Watch verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, and Sadducees come to his baptism. He said unto them, well, welcome, guys. I'm so glad. Is that what it says? No. He didn't say, welcome, guys. I'm glad you're here. Look what he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said unto them, oh, generation of what? You know what that means? You society of snakes. Boy, he ended up taking a college course on how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Or he would call them snake or a society. What is he doing? He's being very direct. Do you know the life that Jesus complements? Not just a different life and a dedicated life. I believe it's a life that is direct. Now please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. We live in a culture that is anything but direct. Listen, my country. I work in Washington, D.C., Brian. I'm not kidding. You cannot call someone in our nation's capital, in America, you cannot call them a crook. Though they may be a crook. 
The term you have to call them, brother, is this. They are an ethically challenged individual. <laughs> that is the term. I am not making that up. If you're losing your hair on the top of your head, you are not bald in Washington, D.C. You are follically dysfunctional. That is the term. It is not a used trailer in America. It is a pre-owned mobile home. Rob, I talked to a guy. I said, man, what do you do for a living? He was in church in Tennessee. He said, I called call the tops of these little thin pine trees in the western part, state of North Carolina. I cut the tops out. We used to call them timber toppers. You cut the top out. I said, so you're a timber topper. He said, no, I work for the federal government. He said, my title is I'm a crown reduction specialist. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Brian, I think you may have been with me and seen this. I'm not sure. You go into the buildings where our congressmen and senators work, and you get ready to go into a little alcove where you can take an elevator up or down or a set of steps up or down. And on the right-hand side, there are three words. And the three words are these. Internal relocation site. Left-hand side, one word, stairs. <laughs> Only in Washington, D.C. do you need three words to say what regular people say in one word. Are you ready? We try to change everything. We don't speak. You're right. What I'm saying is this, folks. What happened today, Antonio does it. And he does it in the heart of love. He tells people the truth. Do you know you're, you're a sinner? Amen? That's not unkind. That's the, that's the most loving thing you can do, is tell someone the truth. You're a sinner. Amen? Hey, they can't get saved until they know they're lost. They can't come to Jesus until they understand they got a sin problem. And by the way, every one of us in here have a sin problem. We were born with a blood disease called sin. It was passed on to me by my mom and dad. I passed it on to my children. And you know what? I can't do anything about that. They can't do anything about that. Only Jesus can do something about it. We're going to have to tell people not in a hateful way, but in a loving way. Can I tell you this? If tonight if tonight, I looked in the back and all of you are looking this way, and I saw, I saw that a fire had been kindled somehow, some way, out in the foyer of the building, and I saw that fire growing and beginning to consume the carpet, moving over to the little table on the right hand side, and I saw that fire growing, and you were oblivious to it. What would you want me to do? Would you want me to just continue standing here talking and you say nothing about it? Or let me do something like this. Guys, I, I, I hate to do this. <laughs> I don't want to hurt dedicated life, a direct life. I want you to watch Matthew 7, verse 7 again. Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, watch this question, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the religious people. Who hath warned you to flee? Get out of here. 
Run away from your sinful lives. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath that's about to come? You know nobody had dared warn them? Because they're the religious people. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Look at verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, evidence, meat for, suitable for, appropriate for repentance. In other words, John says, before I baptize you Pharisees and Sadducees, before I ever baptize you, I want to see a little evidence that you've been saved. It's very good. By the way, guys, listen to me. I was uh, I was over in St. Matthew, South Carolina, a number of years back, and I asked the pastor on Sunday afternoon. He said, "Dave, do you need anything?" I said, "No, sir, I don't." But I do have a question for you. He said, "What's that?" I said, "Is there a gym anywhere near St. Matthew's?" He said, "You mean like a basketball?" I said, "No, not a basketball gym. I mean like a weightlifting gym." He said, well, no, there's not one anywhere here around St. Matthews, but there is one in Orangeburg, South Carolina. So I close to Orangeburg. He said, it's 23 miles away. I said, well, if I wanted to go on Monday to the gym, how, how would I get there? He said, you drive down to the end of the parking lot, the dirt driveway, make a left-hand turn, drive 21 miles, exactly 21 miles, to your first traffic light, hang a left at that traffic light, go a mile and a half up to your next traffic light, take a right-hand turn, go a half mile down, gym's on your right. So on Monday, that's what I did. All the way into the road, 21 miles, left hand turn, mile and a half, net traffic light, right hand turn, half mile down. There's the gym. Walk inside, there's a real fit guy behind the counter. I mean, you, you know the type of Antonio. I mean, he's got muscles everywhere. He's got muscles in his fingers. Yes, for direction, he flexes his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> And so I walked up to the counter and I said to this guy, I said, Hi, my name's Dave Pitzler. You can tell him I was a preacher. I said, I've been in town for a couple of days and I'd love to work out in your gym. Do you have a daily workout rate? Yes. Do you have a weekly workout rate? Yes. I said, What are they? He said, Well, they're this. Well, the weekly workout rate was better. And I said, Look, I'm going to probably come in two, three days. Can I pay you today for the entire week? Can I work out today and come back several other days? He said, Oh, absolutely. So I paid him the money. He split a little thing. Across the camera and said, sign your name here, which says, you know, if you're injured in the process of working at our gym, we are not responsible. So I signed my name there. That's difficult. They require that. And then I looked up the guy and I said, now, where do I go? He said, you make a left-hand turn, go down the little end pond, make a right-hand turn, everything will be right there. I said, thank you so much. Got ready to go. And he looked at me and he said, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. He said, do you need some help? <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, I said, I know I don't look like I've done this before, but I have. Trust me, I have. But thank you for your kind offer. No, I think I'll be fine. So I walked down and I made a right-hand turn. Bench press is the first thing that came to Rob. So I put a you know, couple of plates on there and you know, do my bench press. As I'm finishing my first set, I noticed a guy came in and sat down beside me on the bench that was vacant beside me. Had the same t-shirt that the real fit guy did. Had the name of the business up here on the left-hand chest. And he sat down and just watched me do my workout. When I dropped the weights on the rack behind me, he came over and shook my hand like this. Brian. He said, hi, my name's Chuck. <laughs> he said, hadn't seen you around here before. You knew in town? I said, well, well, sort of. Being a little coy, you know, I said, sort of. I said, I'm actually visiting in town, and uh, I want to come in and work out. He said, so you, you're visiting? Yeah. He said, so that means you travel. I said, yes. He said, well, I've got a question for you, Mr. Traveler. He said, have you ever been on a cruise? You know, ship, ship type cruise? I said, well, I had it at that time. I said, no, I have not had you. He said, well, no. But he said, I'm going next week. I said, that's great. I'll be having an awesome time. I said, I've heard the Midnight Buffet. It's awesome. <laughs> and the Chocolate Fountain's even better. I mean, that's something to die for. He said, yeah, I've heard both of those things. He said, I'm looking forward to all of it. But, he said, you know what I'm really looking forward to? I said, no, sir. Above the Midnight Buffet, above the Chocolate Fountain, what could you really be looking forward to? He looked at me. 
me, Brian, he said this. He said, what I'm really looking forward to is the women <laughs> on the cruise. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what he said. Then he did this. He said, by the way, what is it you do that allows you to travel all of the United States
He said, Brother Dave, do you know what happened in the paddy wagon? I said, no. He said, Pastor Brooklyn started singing. <laughs> he said, we had revival in the paddy wagon. <laughs> and you know what? He just smiled. But he kept speaking the truth. Are you with me? God's looking for people that He can compliment because they live a different, dedicated, direct, he was so direct that John did something they tell you you're never supposed to do. And that is you don't talk about politics in the pulpit. Anybody remember what John the Baptist did when he found out that Herod had seduced his brother Philip's wife and had taken her as his wife? Anybody remember what John the Baptist had the audacity to say? He said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Don't you think about this phrase, it is not lawful. By what law? Yeah, Roman law could care less. That's who Herod works with. John's a field of the higher law. Yeah. this book, what you did, sir, was wrong. You know, Herod got a little upset. He took old John incarcerated him. Most people believe when we were there, we'll be back again in April. We'll see it again. Put him in a dungeon underneath a banquet chamber. And then old Herod decides to have a party and beat all prophets. Invites everybody to the party and they're dancing and there's a there's a young lady summoned to the party. Pardon me, I'm not trying to be graphic, but her name was Salome. She danced a lewd, seductive dance for King Herod. You guys need to understand something. In those days, they didn't have chairs and sit at tables to eat like we just did earlier. By the way, that would be awesome. They didn't sit at tables. They had sofas. They had these sofas and they would recline with their bodies stretched out with their head propped up on their elbow and on their hand. And they'd reach over to the table and Jay, they'd pull the food items from the table to them as they lay on a sofa. Moving in and out among those sofas very seductively was this young lady named Salome. And she's dancing. And old Herod's already drunk. And in his drunkenness, Dan, he makes the statement, Whoa, whoa! Love her dancing! Love her so much I'd give her anything she wants up to half my kingdom. She hears that. And she swings over here to her mama. She says, Mama! The king said he liked my dancing. Said he liked it so good that I, and I could ask anything I want. He'd give me whatever it was up to half his kingdom. Mama, should I ask for half the kingdom? She says, oh no. Uh, no, 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 sweetie. Don't ask for half the kingdom. Well, Mama, what do I ask for? She said, you asked for the head of that controversial preacher named John the Baptist on a silver tray up here in the banquet room so Salome swings back over to the king. And she says, King, understand you like my dad. said, Oh, yeah, babe, love it. Understand you said I could have anything I wanted to have your kingdom. Hope you don't want that. No, sir, I don't. Well, then what do you want? Sir, I'd like to have the head of the guy you've got incarcerated underneath this banquet room. I'd like old John's head on a silver charger, a silver tray, up here in the banquet room Anybody remember how Herod responded to that? He was afraid because the people counted John as a prophet. You know what that means, Brian? Oh, they're killing. What would that be to my Paul, remember? 
See, we poll everything in America. You're a politician. They govern by poll instead of governing by principle. Anybody with that? Oh, I can't kill John. Man, my poll numbers were dead. The people counted as a prophet. They all turned again. I... But see, he's made a promise. Everybody's heard it. So very reluctantly, he does this. He summons a soldier. <laughs> Do it. And a soldier would have exited that banquet room. And again, Brian, if you go with me, you'll see it. He'd have gone down a set of steps underneath that banquet chamber where John the Baptist would have been incarcerated and a man had put his hands behind his back and they would have tied his hands together with the wrist. And they would have forced him to kneel and lean forward and extend his neck and with one pass, one of a razor-sharp saber, John's head would be severed from his body. Picked up and placed on a silver tray, carried back upstairs, given to this young lady, who takes it to her mom. You remember the story? Now, folks, I want to show you something. We live in a hardened, crass culture. This is the epitome of hardening. Brian, that head's still losing blood. <laughs> They're eating. There is no record in the Bible that anyone is made sick when that bristly head shows up. That teenage girl carries it to her mom. Mama, here it is! And the voice has been silenced. Right? Oh, no. No, a number of months pass. Jesus shows up for you. And over here it gets a report. Dang, have you heard? There's a new guy out there in the wilderness. Out there where John was, the guy who said you cut off, there's a new guy out there. They say that his name's Jesus. And over here it goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Run that about me again. King, chill, 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 chill. Take up children. <laughs> it's a new guy. They say his name's Jesus. He's performing miracles, healing people. I don't hear it goes long. Oh, no, 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 no. life, direct life. One final way John lived. He lived a diminished life. You say, Brother Dave, what does that mean? Brother Brian, I've often wondered, I've often wondered what, what the, his disciples were trying to do when they came to visit him in prison before he died. And they told him, John, the one you came to prepare the way for, Jesus has arrived. He's preaching He's working miracles out of the wilderness. And John, all the people that were following you are now following him. Oh, we know human nature, don't we? Human nature is jealous. The guy's a great athlete. Somebody comes to the school who's a little better athlete. 
the guy who has been getting all the laudation and all the applause, he gets jealous of it. Right, right? Beautiful girl in church. All of a sudden, a new family joins the church. They have a daughter that's a little more beautiful than the girl who's been getting all the attention of the boys. Now, jealous of her. We're not careful. Human nature can be very ugly. I think what they're doing to John is this. John, you're in jail. You don't have a crowd. Jesus does. They're your people. It's almost like they're saying, does that bother you? And John quickly puts that to rest. He says this, he must increase. But I must what? In other words, does it bother me? Of course not. Because it's never been about me. It's always been about him. He must increase. I must increase. I guess I'll let you know a little secret. You cannot be offended if you genuinely understand it ain't about you. Jay, there's not a thing you can say to me. Jay, I don't like you. I don't like your hair. I don't like your jacket. I don't like your attitude. If you told me that and it's not really about me and it's all about him, there's not a thing you can say to me to offend me. I say, that's okay, Jay. It's not about me. I love you, brother. Right? Where trouble comes is when we think it's about us. How dare Jay say that to me? Who does he he doesn't he understand what I do in America, which has nothing to do with anything, and I get offended because I think I'm something that I'm not. It's not about us, guys. John lives in the ministry. It is of this kind of individual. Different, dedicated, direct, diminished. That in Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says this of those born of women. There's not a risen a greater. John, what a compliment. By the way, there's going to come another compliment from the lips of our Savior, and it can be available to anybody in this room. It's when we stand before Him after the rapture and Jesus says, Well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of thy Lord. Isn't that going to be awesome? By the way, I was thinking as we were singing out there, and I got back with just a little bit of time to get changed before we came to the service. And what you guys did and how y'all sang, it was just, I told mom, I said, hey, we should have been here. Just, it was just, it's etched forever on my heart, the smiling faces and the joyful singing. You know what I was thinking? God had to be in heaven smiling. And saying, well done, guys. Well done. That's awesome. You're representing me the way I want you to represent me. You're singing the truth. You're not ashamed. But you're doing it with a smile and a joyful heart. I believe God's going to say, well done. My point is this. I want to hear more than anything else in the world now, don't you? What a tragedy to have to live my life down here. The wrong motivations. Be saved. Lord, come back and go to heaven. And I'm in, as the Bible says, so is my life. I'm in heaven, I'm safe, but I don't hear the Lord. The theme of this conference is sifting. And I'd really love for this invitation time to be a time where God can sift us a little bit. And we let Him sift us.
I want to ask you just two questions. First one is this, and it's by far and away the most important. Is there anyone in the room tonight and you do not know for absolute certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior? The Pharisees and Sadducees were religious, but that was it. That's it. They were religious. But they didn't know Jesus. It's possible that in this room are some very religious people, but you don't know Jesus. Your religion won't get you into heaven. In fact, that'll send you to hell faster than just about anything else. Is there anyone in the room that would be honest enough, transparent enough, concerned enough about your own eternal future that you'd be willing to say, Dave, here's the deal. No, I don't know for sure that Jesus is my Savior. I do not know for sure that I've been saved. I do not know for certain that my sin's forgiven. I do not have 100% certainty that when life is over for me down here that I'm going to heaven. If you do not know for sure that you're saved, you're going to heaven when life's over for you down here, I wonder if you'd be willing to lift your hand long enough for me to take note of it. And I'll pray for you, not by name, of course, not by embarrassing you. I would never do that. Dave, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your courage. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your courage and concern. You can put it down. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Of course, not by name. Are there any others besides these? It's no shame to be honest, transparent with God. Anyone else, Dave? I'm not sure. When life's over for me here, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Anyone else? Father, I pray for these that lifted their hand. I thank you for their concern for their own eternal destiny. Lord, help them to understand they do need to be greatly concerned. Because your word says now is the accepted time. Today's the day of salvation. And Father, while I am incredibly thankful that they've lifted a hand and are giving me the honor, and it is exactly that, an honor to pray for them. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just stop at allowing me to pray and leave it at that. And then in a few moments, try to walk into the darkness of this night, get into a car and drive away, still not ready, not 100% certain they're ready for the life that follows this life. Father, I pray instead of doing that, they'd be willing to let someone just simply take a Bible and from the Bible introduce them to you, Lord Jesus. Be forgiven of their sin. and Meet the greatest friend they'll ever have. Lord Jesus, you will be that friend. Father, for what you do, I'm going to thank you.